Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. We're about halfway through our study of Abraham. Uh, it will finish up the fourth Sunday of May. There's five Sundays in May, and then we'll begin something new. Right now we're planning a, a character study on Joseph, and that'll take us through most of the summer. Let me just recap where we have been the last couple of Sundays in our story of Abraham. In chapter 15, we had the covenant formally established in chapter 15. In verse 6 of chapter 15, Abraham believed God and it was imputed or it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now that verse is quoted three times in the New Testament, in Romans, in Galatians, and in James. There is a great deal of similarity between the unconditional covenant God made with Abraham, a covenant that was entered into by faith, and the new covenant, an unconditional covenant in Christ's blood that is also entered into by faith. So there's a lot of parallels. As we go through chapter 17, you'll start to notice some of the parallels between the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant. In chapter 16, after that covenant was ratified and Abraham trusted in God, he was in the land 10 years and Sarah did not conceive. He's wondering, when will this child be born? When will Sarah conceive? When will this child that, that I'm to be blessed with by the Lord, when will that child finally come into being? And after 10 years, with God not acting on his promise, God was not moving fast enough for Abraham. Abraham wanted God to move faster. I resemble that comment. And perhaps many of you do as well. God does not move fast enough for us at times. Do you want to know why? He's waiting for us to catch up to him. We're not at the position yet where we are ready to be that part of God's plan. Neither was Abraham. We know that because in chapter 16, after 10 years, instead of trusting in what God would do, Sarah comes up with a plan. Abraham buys into that plan wholeheartedly. And they try to bring about the promise of God in the flesh. And Ishmael is born to Abraham when he's 86 years old. With that in mind, the last verse of chapter 16, and Abraham was 86, year old, 86 years old when Ishmael was born to him. We then come to chapter 17, which we want to look at today. If you like titles of messages, here's a long title. God's faithfulness revealed in the midst of our failures. Chapter 17 is all about God's faithfulness. Right after chapter 16 and this failure of Abraham. The Lord is revealed in Genesis chapter 17 as the faithful covenantal God. God always relates to his people through a covenant, whether it be the Abrahamic covenant or the new covenant in Christ's blood. And his promises never change. He's the faithful covenant God whose promises never change. Abraham's actions in chapter 16 would not change God's covenantal promises. He gave his word, he gave his promise, and it's going to be fulfilled exactly the way God always intended it to be fulfilled. Anything Abraham would do would not change that. God is sovereign. He is able to bring about whatever he purposes to do. If you take only one thing away from this morning's message, 
take this away that you can apply to your own life. God sometimes gives us painful reminders of our past failure. Why? Not to punish us so that we don't repeat those same failures. We'll see in a future lesson, Abraham is still going to repeat a failure, but even with that, God still embraces him. God doesn't discard him. He will never discard his children that he's entered into a covenant with. But God will give painful reminders. And that's why we read again for the second week in a row those two verses from Galatians. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he shall also reap. The one who sows to the flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. We're going to look at this chapter, all the verses of this chapter, under four main headings. We're going to see God's covenantal faithfulness reassured to Abraham. And then from God... We're going to see a contrast, God and then man, man's covenantal entrance revealed. How does man enter into this covenant? What displays his faith in God's promised covenant? And then we go back to God. God's covenantal faithfulness reaches out. It's extended beyond Abraham. And then Abraham's response by way of contrast, man's covenantal obedience realized. So, we have a lot of slides. We're going to move through most of these slides pretty quickly. Let's begin by looking at God's covenantal faithfulness reassured. And this is so important. If you're here this morning and you are a child of God, you've placed your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you have never failed the Lord in any way, well, then you probably don't need to hear this message. But if you have, if you're like me and you've failed many times, then be reassured. God's covenantal faithfulness does not change. He wants to reassure you that his covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ with you that you've entered into by faith is reassured to you. It will not change. God's faithfulness will follow his timetable, not yours or mine, his. In the very first, first verse, now when Abraham was 99 years old, the last verse of chapter 16, he was 86. 13 years elapses between the close of chapter 16 and the first verse of chapter 17. Think about that for a minute. After he was in the land 10 years, and he was 85 years old, 10 years, Sarah was barren. She did not conceive a child. And they came up with this plan and acted on this plan. 10 years. Now what does God do? He doesn't make him wait just 10 more years, but 13 years. I just have to wonder, it's going beyond Scripture, but I have to wonder if part of the reason why Sarah didn't conceive after 10 years, 10 additional years, was God wanted to teach Abraham a lesson. God wanted to prove Abraham and Sarah whether they would wait or whether they would hatch another scheme to fulfill God's promise in the flesh. 13 years now. He's 99 years old. Sarah will conceive within three months of this account. And she will give birth when Abraham is 100 years old. But he had to wait 13 years. I could see him marking the time. Thinking perhaps, okay, you know, I, di I didn't wait long enough. God's going to make me wait 10 more years. The 10th year rolls around, and Sarah is not pregnant. And I'm wondering what's going through Abraham's mind. What would go through your mind and mine when God doesn't move fast enough for us, when God makes us wait? He makes us wait, though, 
for our own good. He has something important he wants to teach us when he makes us wait. God's faithfulness involves a revelation of himself to Abraham. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, he appeared and said. He didn't send an angel, uh, a, a heavenly messenger. Uh, it, he appeared to Abraham himself. And he spoke to Abraham. God gave Abraham not simply a child. One day Sarah says, guess what? I'm pregnant. No. God had something even better than that. A revelation of himself to Abraham. And he said to him, I am God Almighty. Now, a lot of you know what the Hebrew is for God Almighty. El Shaddai. This is the first time in Scripture that El Shaddai is used. God revealed something new. Abraham was not the mighty one who would bring about God's promise. God himself was the not partially mighty, not somewhat mighty, not on occasion mighty. He is the almighty, the always mighty. There is no one mightier than God. And that's how he reveals himself to Abraham. I'm wondering what's going through Abraham's mind. I can tell you what would be going through my mind. 13 years. 13 years. How mighty can you be? But God is almighty whether we believe it or not. His might does not depend upon you and I and our belief in that might. He is almighty. God's faithfulness expects our faithfulness as his covenant people, just like with Abraham. I am God Almighty. Walk before me. And how should you walk? Be blameless. Don't walk over here. Don't walk over there. Walk before God and be blameless. His faithfulness expects our faithfulness. This point will be expanded when we get to the final point, the final uh, portion of the message, that fourth heading. God's faithfulness and covenant depends not upon you and I, but upon himself. I will establish my covenant between me and you. God will do it. He reiterates, he repeats what he had said in chapter 15. God will do it. I will establish my covenant. Even in the face of Abraham's failure, even in the face of Abraham's faithlessness in chapter 16, God remains faithful. Why? For he cannot deny himself. He gave his word, and forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It will not change. God changes not, the scripture teaches in Malachi and in Hebrews. God and Christ never change. God will establish his covenant. Here, 13 years, and now God says, I will establish my covenant. I haven't forgotten about it. Your failure hasn't set it aside. I will establish my covenant between me and you. God's faithfulness and covenant results in the realization of the promised blessings. He says, and I will multiply you exceedingly. In Ephesians, Paul says that God is able to do super abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. This is what he's telling Abraham right here. I wonder if Paul the Apostle had this in mind when he said God is able to do super abundantly beyond all that which you ask or think. I will not just multiply you, but I will multiply you exceedingly. There is no end to God's blessing. There is no limitation on how he can choose to bless you with the revelation of himself. God's faithfulness and covenant should always produce a response. Abram fell 
on his face, the posture of worship, the posture of humility. This is the way to enter into the new covenant in Christ's blood with humility. The scriptures teach very clearly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one, the scripture says. That is the humble response. Like the tax collector in Luke 18, God be merciful to me, the sinner. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, fall on your face like Abraham this morning and cry out to God. Save me. Deliver me. Be merciful to me, the sinner. God's faithfulness and covenant produces a response. It ought to respond produce a response. If you're a child of God this morning, if you've trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ for your salvation, the revelation of God to himself, which he spoke, it was the words of God. We have the Bible now, the words of God. Reading that book, brothers and sisters, should produce a response of worship in your heart, in my heart as we read the very words of God, the God who brought all the universe into being, the God who's given you life and breath. Abram's response to God's revelation of himself and his promised blessings was he fell on his face in worship. He didn't just worship when the music was playing. He worshiped when the word of God came to him and God revealed himself through his words. God's faithfulness and covenant rewards willing submission and true worship. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, Brothers and sisters, if if you want to have God reveal himself to you in a very real and powerful way, it's going to happen when you have a humble heart and you open his word and hear him, as it were, from the pages of scripture talking to you. He desires to speak with every one of his children, and he's spoken already in the word of God, the Bible. You're not going to hear an audible voice. He's not going to send an angel, Gabriel, with a Western Union telegram from God. He's already spoken, and he wants you to experience him through the pages of Scripture. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, The spirit who gives life, gives life to those words. It's called the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It speaks with the words of life. The words of Jesus are found in there. The words of God. Just as God spoke with Abraham throughout this chapter, so too God wants to speak to everyone who is in covenant relationship with him in the same way, with his word. Wasn't dreams here, wasn't visions, it wasn't angelic messengers, it was God himself, the words of God that he used to provide a revelation of himself and to reassure Abraham of his promised blessings. God's faithfulness and covenant rewards willing submission and true worship with encouragement. God encouraged Abraham here. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. What you did in chapter 16 does not invalidate my covenant. It is still with you. And you will be, he encourages him, you will yet be 
you will still be the father of a multitude of nations. God's faithfulness and covenant changes us into a new person. No longer shall your name be called Avram, exalted father. Your name shall be Avraham, father of a multitude. Abraham is now known as the father of a multitude. The multitude hasn't been born yet. Sarah hasn't even conceived, but your name will be. Your name shall be. God changes those in covenant relationship into a new person. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. God has new things for your life, brothers and sisters. Not the old things. Those are passed away. New things have come. And he is the greatest of all new things. God himself, God in Christ, is the greatest of all blessings and new things. God's faithfulness and covenant changes us by his power when we are willing. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Notice the word I put in blue, have, past tense. He didn't even have the son of promise yet. All he had was Ishmael, the son of the flesh. Yet God says, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. That is how certain, how sure God's promises are. They are yea and amen. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's promises, his word is so sure that even that which is yet future can be spoken of as definitely fulfilled. Our God is timeless. He sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He sees it all. As far as God is concerned, his promise to Abraham is fulfilled. Nothing is going to stop it. Nothing can prevent it. God will bring it to pass. God's faithfulness and covenant always brings about a multitude of eternal blessings. Look at this. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth for you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. All you have to do is read Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39, the end of the chapter. That covenant which you've entered into by faith through Christ's blood, the new covenant, is an everlasting covenant. Nothing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing you've done. Just like nothing Abraham did would be able to separate him from the covenant that he entered into by faith with the Lord. Another unconditional covenant. And nothing can separate us. Why? Because the only one bound, as we heard a couple weeks ago from our brother Gilson, God is the only one who walked between those animals. He is the only one who bound himself by that covenant. Same with the new covenant. It's not by works, the scriptures teaches. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In Titus, Paul writes, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. It's an everlasting covenant with everlasting possessions. So too the new covenant in Christ's blood. You will spend eternity in heaven with God and Christ when you enter into that covenant, that new covenant by faith and trust in what Jesus Christ himself did on the cross, 
when he bore the sins of, his, of the world in his body, shed his precious blood, and died. If you recognize that you are a sinner like Abraham and you fall figuratively to your face, cry out in faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross, bearing the sins of the world, suffering the judgment and wrath of God on that cross, then you enter into an everlasting covenant as well. And God and Christ are your everlasting possession. Nothing that anyone does, nothing that you do will ever take that away. It's everlasting. I will make, I will make, I will establish, I will give. God's faithfulness and covenant has as its greatest blessing Him. We think about our blessings. There's, a, there's, a, there's an old traditional hymn. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and you'll be amazed at what God has done. That is all true, but the greatest blessing of all is God himself. There is no greater blessing than God in Christ. And you have that if you've entered into that new covenant. He says, I will establish my covenant for what purpose? To be God to you and your descendants after you. I will be their God. Is he your God this morning? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? He is the greatest blessing that you could possibly have. There's, a, there's a, an old traditional hymn. One of the verses goes like this. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses and land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dark sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. God in Christ is the greatest blessing, the greatest gift of all. It's an eternal blessing. It is him. It's not about being at ease in life. It's not about him blessing us materially or even making us feel good in any way. It's not about the sun shining and the birds singing. It's about him. Rejoice in him. Be satisfied with him. So many Christians want the Lord Jesus Christ and something else. The Lord Jesus Christ and this. The Lord Jesus Christ and that. The Lord Jesus Christ and a person. The Lord Jesus Christ and whatever. It's never like that. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God in Christ is the greatest eternal blessing of all. The Lord Jesus Christ is enough. Lose everything else in this life, but never lose him. He is more important than everything else that we have in life. Lose our health, but cling to Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Man's covenantal entrance is now going to be revealed. Abraham entered that covenant by faith, but there was going to be a sign of that faith. And God is about to tell him what that is. Man has the personal responsibility of entering God's covenant by obedience. The Jews asked Jesus Christ, what may we do? This is in John, John chapter 6. I think it's uh, verse 29. 
What may we do that we may work the works of God? And they're, they're expecting to hear, keep the law of Moses, tithe, take care of the poor. They were expecting to hear all sorts of good works that they needed to do to do the works of God. But what does Jesus Christ tell them? This is the work of God that you believe in him whom God has sent. That you believe in Jesus. That you believe in me is what he was saying. That is the work of God. We have the personal responsibility to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation. If we are lost eternally, we cannot blame God. It is our responsibility. God said further to Abraham, now as for you, Abraham, as for you, Paul, as for each of you here this morning, you shall keep, you shall guard or watch over my covenant. Pay attention to my covenant. And he's about to reveal what the sign is, the sign of faith that allowed Abraham and his descendants after him to enter that covenant. Man only enters God's covenant by humbly accepting his failure. If you and I are self-righteous today, we cannot enter God's covenant, the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. We have no righteousness. There is none righteous, not even one, we read in Scripture. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you. You shall be circumcised. And to make sure it's clear, he repeats it again. We know, what, we know the importance of repetition, don't we? Truly, truly, I say to you, oh, Let's listen up. You shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. How is that the sign? Sure, it was a physical sign, but it indicated something. It indicated that Abraham was not going to trust in the flesh to fulfill the promise of God. He was going to trust in the word and promise of God. It was a sign of his faith. Discard the flesh that was used in part to bring about what he hoped would be the fulfillment of God's covenant. In doing this, Abraham humbled himself. My way is the wrong way. Your way is the right way, is what he's saying to God. I believe and trust in what you did in chapter 15. And your promise way back in chapter 12 when you called me as a much younger man to leave Ur the Chaldees. Man's humble acceptance of his failure is a daily painful reminder never to rely on the flesh. He says, you shall be circumcised, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. Every single day, Abraham would have a reminder. Every single day, he would have a reminder never to again to fulfill God's promise in the flesh. He couldn't escape it now once he was circumcised. Every day, there would be that reminder. We need to humbly accept our failure before God, that we are sinners deserving his wrath and judgment, deserving an eternity of separation from God and Christ. And when we're willing to accept that, that there's no good thing dwells in me, that is in my flesh. Notice what was removed, the flesh. No good thing. I am a spiritual pauper. I am spiritually bankrupt before God. I have nothing to offer him that will earn me his salvation, that will earn me entrance into his eternal covenant 
through the blood of Christ. God sometimes gives you and I painful reminders of our past failure. Not to punish us, not to beat us down, but to remind us never again to trust in the flesh. Never again to lean on our own understanding, but instead in all our ways acknowledge him and his word will direct our paths. Man's humble entrance into God's covenant is everlasting. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. That sign of the flesh was a sign of his faith and trust in what God had promised, what God had done in that unconditional covenant in chapter 15. So too, our humble entrance into God's everlasting covenant is done by faith, just like Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was imputed or reckoned to him. It was considered to be righteousness. The New Testament teaches that the righteousness of Christ is imparted or imputed to everyone who trusts in what Christ did on the cross. It's not our righteousness. We have none. It is his righteousness and all him. That is all we have. We have nothing else to hold up before God but the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. He said, I do always those things that please the Father. The Father spoke from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Man must come God's prescribed way in order to enter God's covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken. Or a better way to translate this, since you can't literally break this covenant. It's not like a stick you can snap. He has disregarded. That same Hebrew word could legitimately be translated and is better translated here as disregarded my covenant. We disregard the covenant in Christ's blood at our own eternal peril. We must come God's prescribed way. We can't come like Cain did, without faith, our own way. I'll decide how I'm acceptable to God, and God better accept me the way I want to be accepted. No, it doesn't work that way. The uncircumcised, the one who does not have faith shall be cut off. He has not regarded God's covenant. He has no part, no inheritance, no lot in God's covenant, new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. God's covenantal faithfulness reaches out. It extends, and we're going to see how that comes about. God will use us to help change others. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Abraham now was going to call her by a new name. Gone was the woman of the past who concocted a scheme to bring about the promise of God. That woman was gone. That woman is, as it were, dead and buried. There is a new woman there. And God will use Abraham to call her, reveal to her, your name is now Sarah. God will use you and I as well. When he blesses us with salvation, he will use you and I as well to speak words to others, to be a blessing to them, to speak his words. Abraham, God didn't tell Abraham, come up with a name for your wife. Make up a name. Whatever you decide to call her, just call her that. No, he didn't even leave that to Abraham. He told Abraham what he will say to her. God tells us what we need to say to others, and it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that will change them, just like Sarai is in the past, so too, when we speak the words of life and the gospel of Jesus Christ 
to others. When they trust in that gospel, the old person is dead and a new person is born. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things, the old name, the old man, the old woman has passed away. New things have come. God uses us to help bless others. And God said to Abraham, as, as for Sarai, your wife, I will bless her and I will give you a son by her. They were going to be a blessing to each other. The new woman, Sarah, the new man, Abraham, a blessing to each other. God was going to bless each of them through the other. Then I will bless her. God will use you to bless others. Is that a desire of your heart this morning? To be used by God to be a blessing to others, to your brothers and sisters in Christ, to the unsaved through the gospel. God's blessings reach far, even to unexpected places. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Imagine that. Ishmael is not the child of promise, is not the child that God intended Abraham to have, that his descendants would be a multitude of nations. He includes the child of the flesh in some blessing, some degree of blessing. Imagine that. God's blessing reaches to even an unexpected, unexpected places. I mean, if I didn't read this in this story, I, I would think, oh, well, God's discarded Ishmael. The same way the foreskin was discarded, Ishmael is discarded. But no, God's grace extends far. How do I know? It included me. It extended to me. It extended to you. He didn't snap the line and say, Johnson, you're out. God's grace extends to even unexpected places. If you knew me when I was 20 years old, you would have said, that jerk would never get saved. He's too big a sinner. Yet his grace was extended to even me. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. God's faithful covenantal promises sometimes seem impossible. What God promises, he's always able to bring to pass. To Abraham, this seemed to be impossible. He's 99 years old. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He laughed at God's word. He laughed at God. Can you imagine that? He laughed at God and he said in his heart, like that would hide it from God. God sees not as a man sees, the scripture says, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. David writes, even before there's a word on my lips, thou, O Lord, knows it. He said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? What is impossible with man is possible with God. When you look around at the unsaved, never think that person would never get saved. You know, a brother once said to me, he said, Paul, uh, you know, I had a chance to share the gospel with this person. You know this person too. You know, he's, a, he's the worst sinner that I know in my life. And so I didn't share the gospel with him. He'd never get saved. And I said to him, if you knew, if God sent an angel with a Western Union telegram and it was addressed to you and it said, this person will get saved when you share the gospel, would you do it? And he said, oh, yeah, I definitely would have. Well, how do you know he wouldn't? We don't know. Never laugh at the promises of God. 
Never laugh and doubt what God has said in his word. Everything he says, he will bring to pass. God's faithful covenantal promises are sometimes rejected in favor of our own plan. Still, Abraham, at this point, he says to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, you have to understand this. Ishmael is 13 years old. In chapter 15, God told him that it would be one of his descendants, but he did not say that it would be Sarah's child. He should have known it because of the way God protected Sarah from Pharaoh. But Abraham says, here's my plan, God. You know, I got a better idea. Oh, that Ishmael, the child of the flesh, might live. I hear what you're saying, God. You know, it sounds good, but I got a better idea. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Might he be the one, not a child that Sarah will give birth to, but the child of my plan. 13 years, he looked at this child. God was silent as far as the scriptures are concerned. He didn't communicate with Abraham. And Abraham's thinking, hey, this was a pretty good plan. Look at this child. He's growing up. A nice, fine, strapping young man. I mean, wow. All my hope, all my trust is in this child to bring about the fulfillment of God's promises. 13 years, Abraham hoped in Ishmael. You have to understand this. This was his firstborn son, his only son. He loved Ishmael. All his hopes and dreams were on Ishmael. And he says to God, I got a better idea. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Might he be the one to stand before you and father many nations and kings? Sometimes we do this. We know what God's word says, and yet we find ourselves at times rejecting what God's word says in favor of our own plans, even when we see so clearly what it is that God's word says. I have a better way. I have my own way. Here's how I want to do this. Here's how I want to do that. Here's how I want to practice church. Here's how I want to practice the Christian life. It makes allowances for the flesh. No, no, that's not God's way. Man's plan is always inferior, infinitely inferior to God's plan. This is a prayer request. Do you recognize this? He's talking to God. He's got his hands clasped together. He was on his face. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. What does God say? No. See, Sometimes God answers prayers with no. When our plan does not come to pass, when our desires are not realized, when our prayer to God is not granted us, as we prayed it, God still answered no. But God said no. But Sarah, your wife, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. When you go home this sometime this week, read this chapter again and uh, make note, either underline, highlight, or just jot it down on a piece of paper if you don't like writing in your Bible. See how many times things are repeated. This chapter is filled with repetition. God is driving home certain truths, the truth of covenant and that it's an everlasting covenant. God rejects our plans and God's faithfulness is to his own covenantal promises. 
His faithfulness is not to my plan or your plan. It's to his own plan. And sometimes when our plans differ from his, he just has to tell us, no. He doesn't berate Abraham. He doesn't say, Meshuggah, what's the matter with you? Don't you hear what I'm saying? He, James tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and does not reproach or rebuke or upbraid, does not ridicule the person who realizes they need wisdom. Even here, when Abraham has his own wisdom, his plan, God just says no. He doesn't ridicule his child of faith. God's blessings reach far, even after our own time. God said, Sarah, your wife will bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. It goes beyond his time. It's an everlasting covenant. What God does through you in your life to minister to your brothers and sisters, to share the gospel with the unsaved, you and I have no conception of how God's use of us, our service for God, reverberates down the corridors of time throughout eternity. We have no idea. God's blessings upon us and through us to others reach far, even after our own time. You know, the example used to illustrate this very often is, uh, is Billy Graham. Someone shared the gospel with Billy Graham. Long after that person had gone home to be with the Lord, the echoes of the gospel that was shared with Billy Graham echoed throughout this world. God is able to bring blessing to pass way beyond our time. God's faithfulness follows his timetable and his word reveals encouraging things. He says, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. So in about three months after this meeting, Sarah would conceive because nine months later, at this time next year, Sarah will give birth to Isaac. God's faithfulness follows his timetable, not ours, not Abraham's. But he will always be faithful to what he has promised in his word. And he reveals encouraging things. He, he told Abraham, it's going to be Sarah that will have the child of promise. And you'll call him Isaac. And it's going to happen not in another 10 years, not in another 13 years. It's going to happen in one year. He gave him this encouragement. God's words to his covenantal children, you and I in the new covenant in Christ's blood, is intended to encourage us. Why would we ever neglect his words of encouragement? Are you ever discouraged? Are you ever confused or despondent, even depressed? His word provides encouragement. Never neglect that in your life. You will find it encouraging. God's faithfulness reveals all that we need to know at any point in time in order to remain faithful to him. Notice what happened. When he finished talking with him, God went up for him, Abraham. God had told Abraham everything he needed to know. He didn't tell him any less than he needed to know. He didn't tell him any more than he needed to know at this point in time. When he had finished, God didn't partially speak with Abraham. God's words are finished. They are complete in and of themselves just like nothing needed to be added to his words to Abraham, nothing needs to be added to his words to you and I, which are found in the Bible. 
God went up from Abraham. Abraham had all that he needed. You know, Paul writing to Timothy writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. For what purpose? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That the man of God may be complete, not somewhat complete, not partially. That he may be complete, thoroughly equipped, not partially equipped, not somewhat equipped. This is the word of God that's inspired in verse 16 and verse 17, the purpose that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for some good works. No, every good work. God's word does for you and I who have entered into, by faith, into the new covenant with Jesus Christ, God's word does for you and I exactly what his words did for Abraham. Two unconditional covenants entered by faith with a sign of obedience, as we'll see. Man's covenantal obedience is going to be realized now. This is a truism. Obedience is always the sign of a person's relationship with God. It doesn't bring about our salvation. By, for by grace are you saved through, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the very next verse says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. See, the good works come after salvation. They don't earn a salvation. Obedience, the good works, are always a sign of a person's relationship with God. Let's see how that comes out in the closing verses of this chapter. Then, then, not later on, not next week, not after Isaac was born, let me see if God's really going to bring about his promise. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and every male among the men of Abraham's household and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. God goes up. What does Abraham do immediately? He acts on the word of God and he obeys the instructions of God. Obedience is to be immediate. There's never any reason to put off obedience to God's word. Oh, tomorrow will be a better day to start obeying. And again, man's covenantal obedience is to be obedient, is to be immediate. In the very same day Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son, all the men of his household were circumcised with him. Immediately. In writing to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Not next week. Not tomorrow. Not even this afternoon. Now. Immediately. Obey God. Submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. Turn to God in obedience to the gospel. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. In, in writing to the Hebrews, we read, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you hear the voice of God, as it were, through the gospel of Jesus Christ calling out to you, Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Immediately, humble yourself. Obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do the work of God that you believe in him 
Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. Man is never too old to enter into covenantal faithfulness with God. Oh, Paul, I've lived a life of sin. You have no idea how much I've sinned over, my, over the course of my life. You're never too old. It's never too late to get right with God, to enter into his covenantal faithfulness by faith in Jesus Christ. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. 99 years old. I don't think there's anyone in this room that's 99. My back turned 99 last Tuesday, but beyond that, there's no one here that's 99. Not that that's the upper limit either. You're never too old. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Man's covenantal faithfulness, faithfulness to God's covenant, should seek to involve others. You and I have no excuse for not sharing the gospel with the lost. Oh, Paul, but I, I, I get all tongue-tied. I can't speak to people. Can you hand them a track? We have a track rack out there filled. Uh, uh, a brother and sister in this church, keep that track rack filled with excellent gospel tracks. Take some. They're no charge. They're free. I know a brother in this church, when he goes for a walk, he sticks the tracks in different places as he walks. And when he and his wife turn around and come back, they notice some of the tracks are already gone. The corridors of eternity will echo with, with the praises of those who took those tracks and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, trusting in him. This brother doesn't know how many have believed, but he will one day. He will finally see the fruit of his labor. Can you and I do the same thing? Isn't that an example to every single one of us? In conclusion, we've seen God's faithfulness will always be revealed even in the midst of our failures. God is the faithful covenant God whose promises will never change. And ponder this and make this an object of prayer. God sometimes gives us painful reminders of our past failures, not to punish us, but so that we don't repeat them. So let me challenge you with a couple of uh, questions. Today, will you begin to reject your plans in favor of God's plan for your life? Only his plan. Embrace his plan. Today, will you begin to use past failures as an incentive for obedience to God and spiritual growth? Would you do that? Would you prayerfully contemplate both of those questions this week? The slideshow will be up on the internet. You'll be able to look at these off of our website if you need to read those over again and make them an ob object of prayer this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you that you are always faithful. Even when we are faithless, you remain faithful for you cannot deny yourself. You have spoken and it is settled and you will bring it to pass. Oh dear God, Help us to be men and women of faith, trusting always in your word, in your plan, and not our own. Hold us close, dear God, or we fear that we will be like Sarah and Abraham, coming up with our own plan in place of yours, and what a failure it will be. Oh, dear God, help us even to rejoice when your word when your answer to our prayers is no. Help us to understand that that is always for the best. For you are perfect, dear God, and you can do nothing less than perfection in all your ways. 
in all your doings. So dear God, we ask that you would be gracious to us, that you would strengthen us in the inner person by your spirit in accordance with your word that we might immediately obey all your words to us so that you would be honored and glorified by our lives and throughout eternity. We ask this for your name's sake. Amen.